Well, good morning, faith family. It's good to see you. You think after about eight weeks of that guy running, he's got to be tired by now, right? If you got your Bible, go to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, we are uh, about to come to a close in our runaway series. Uh, this week and next will be our uh, last, um, last sermons in this wonderful series. I trust that you've uh, been learning a lot. How many of you are enjoying the book of Jonah? How many of you, it's like your favorite book now? Okay, not so much. It's a stretch. I did have a guy come up to me last night and he said, uh, my favorite book used to be Habakkuk, now it's Jonah. So, um, but we've been learning some really intense things and some incredible things about the love of God, about God's grace to us. And, uh, and it's not just about understanding God's love and his grace to us. That's, that's where it starts. That's extremely important. But what we really begin to see this morning is what that means for our life. What's the implication of this outrageous love that God has for us? And that's what we're going to see uh, in these last few verses here uh, in Jonah. And so we're going to look, Jonah 4, uh, verses 4 through the end of the book, and then we, we'll return here next week. And you might think, but you're out of verses. I'll make some up. Um, and I'm kidding. I'm not. No. That'd be heresy. Uh, so Jonah 4, but we do want to come back next week. And wrap up the series. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Jonah 4, starting at verse 4. This is God's Word to us. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city, and he sat at the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he would see what would become of the city. And now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that he might have shade for his head and save him from his discomfort. And Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well? to be angry for the plant. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us this morning see the implication, the life application for this amazing truth that you've been teaching us. Your love for runaways, your salvation to uh, wicked Ninevites. Lord, help, help us see what this means for how we live. And I ask it to the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen. You may be seated. It was uh, 3 a.m. in Hawaii, and Tony couldn't sleep. He'd flown in for a conference, but because of the time change, he found himself awake at 3 a.m. in the morning, and he was hungry. So he started looking for a place to eat. 
Most places were closed at that time in the morning, but he was able to find a a little 24-hour diner. And so he went inside, he took a seat at the counter. He noticed that the place was disgusting, it was filthy, like grease was everywhere. And so he thought, I'm not going to order anything, I'll just settle for a donut and a cup of coffee. And he was sitting there eating his donut and drinking his coffee when all of a sudden about eight to nine prostitutes walked in. One sat down on his right, the other one sat down to his left, and they started having a conversation with one another. The one on his right said, hey, did you know that tomorrow's my birthday? The one on his left sarcastically responded, what do you want me to do about it, throw you a party? The one on his right said, nope, I've never had a birthday party in my life, why would I have one now? They talked a little while longer, had some small talk, a little chit-chat, and then they finally gathered their stuff and left. Tony looked to the man behind the counter. His name was Harry. He was the owner of the diner, and he said, do they come in here every night, every early morning? And Harry said, oh, Agnes and her friend? Oh, yeah, 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 3.30 a.m. on the nose. Every morning they're in here. Tony said, I know it sounds a little crazy, but um, what do you say we throw Agnes a birthday party? Tony thought about it, Harry thought about it for just a moment, and he thought, you know, that sounds like a great idea. And the next morning, they decorated that diner wall to wall with birthday decorations, and at 3.30 a.m., Agnes and her friend walks into that diner to the scream of, Happy Birthday! And she was stunned. She didn't know what to say. And then when they brought the cake out and she saw all those candles, she began to weep. Cut the cake, Agnes, cut the cake, Harry said. But all Agnes could do was stare at that cake. She finally looked at Tony and she said, my mom lives just a couple of blocks from here. Can I take my cake and show her? And she took the cake and walked out of the diner. That diner was so quiet you could hear a pin drop. Tony broke the silence with the question, I know, I know, how about I pray for Agnes? And right there in that greasy 24-hour Hawaiian diner, Tony prayed that God would change Agnes's life forever. When he finished the prayer, Harry looked at him and said, hey, wait a minute, you didn't tell me you were a Christian. What kind of church do you go to? Tony said the first thing that came to his mind, he said, I go to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 a.m. in the morning. Harry grinned, and then he said, no, you don't, because that church doesn't exist. If it did, I'd join it. Dear friends, the question that hovers over these last few verses of Jonah 4 
It is a question that Jonah has to answer. It is a question that everyone here must answer. And the question is this. Will you love people the way God loves people? Will those of us who have experienced the outrageous love of God love outrageously? Will those of us who profess that we know the outrageous forgiveness of God forgive outrageously? It is not enough for us to sit here week after week as I proclaim to you the the greatest news in all the world, the good news of the amazing grace of God, and the world not look at us and say, how do you love so amazingly? That is the issue for Jonah. It's been the issue from the very beginning. It's why he ran to Joppa to get on a ship. It's why he ends up in the sea. It's why he ends up in the belly of a fish. It's why he's pouting like a four-year-old girl in chapter four. Because Jonah has learned to live with the disconnect of how God has loved him and how he loves others. That's a problem, faith family. It is a real, real problem. Don't just take my words for it. Listen to our own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in John chapter 13, when he tells his disciples this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Do you see the connection? Your love is in relationship to how you've been loved. And then notice what he says. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are mine. That you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The disconnect between how we have been loved and how we love is a problem. So God is going to teach Jonah that again. And he's going to come to him in a moment of vulnerability, of emotional um, weakness, and he's going to ask him three questions. I want to show you what those three questions are. The first question is in verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? The second question is in verse 9. And God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And then the last question is in verse 11. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? God comes to Jonah with three questions. By the way, are you like me and sometimes when you're really aggravated, the last thing you want is somebody to ask you a question? You're lost on vacation and your kids, how much longer? When are we going to get there? And you're like, shut up. Don't ask me that question right now. I will never forget my son, when he was real young, comes into my room at 5 a.m. in the morning. Now listen, I am fine to wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning. You just need to know that if I wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning, something's going to die. 
I'm not serious. A fish, a duck, a deer. I'll get up at 5 a.m. That's fine, but death's coming with me. So my son walks into my room, wakes me up, 5 a.m. in the morning, says, Daddy, I've got a question. I'm thinking, this better be good. He looks at me and says, I need to ask you something. What is it, son? Daddy, can I have a popsicle? <laughs> I said, if you don't get your little hind end back in bed, I'm going to pop your sickle, all right? <laughs> I mean, we all relate to that. It's like, don't ask me a question right now. I am not in the mental state of mind to handle your questions. But if you read the Bible very much, that's exactly what God does. Adam and Eve are hiding in the garden. God comes to them and says, where are you? God comes to Cain after he's murdered his brother and says, where's your brother? God has a way of coming to us in some of our weakest moments and asking us questions. And those questions are not because God needs information. It's not like, I really don't know where Adam and Eve are. Oh my goodness, I'm the worst hide-and-seek player ever. <laughs> God is asking the question to expose our hearts to the truth in our heart. The question is meant to expose Question one, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? What is God trying to expose with this question? He's trying to expose the basis for Jonah's anger. Because the text tells us that what Jonah does is he goes outside the city and he builds him this little wooden booth, all right? And he gets in his little wooden booth, and he's got his popcorn and his 3D glasses and his binoculars, and he's watching the city to see if God's going to judge it. You'll notice the phrase that says, he's watching to see what would become of the city. Last phrase of verse 5. Jonah's thinking this, maybe God will change his mind. He's changed his mind before. I mean, after all, it hasn't been 40 days yet. Maybe God will relent of his relenting and do the right thing. And then verse 6, now the Lord appointed a plant. Oh, I'm sure it wasn't artificial, but this will do. God appoints a plant. And now what's happening? Here Jonah is in his wooden booth and he's enjoying his plant. He loves his little plant. Notice the text says that he's exceedingly glad because of the plant. I love you. You remember that? Remember Chris Farley and Tommy Boy? You know, I pet it. I stroke it. I massage it. I, he loves his little plant. Why? It's providing him shade. Now, one could hardly blame him. After all, in the ancient Near East, it got up to 120 degrees. I thought, how do I bring Minnesotans into this text? <laughs> They've never known heat. The hottest it gets here is 37 degrees. God help. I have to teach your word. So I thought, let's reverse it. 
You're driving to the cities, but you're just outside the cities when your car breaks down on the side of the road in mid-January. God, you think you'd be cold just a little? You'd be freezing. And God supernaturally keeps the heater in your car running. Would you be pretty happy about that? You'd be thrilled. You'd love your little plant too. I love my heater, my car heater. Well, that's what's happening. You've got to notice the emotional shift in the passage. Look at verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He's fuming mad. Now, verse 6. Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Do you see the emotional shift? Here's what's happening. Do you do well to be angry? What is that question exposing? Why is Jonah really, really, really angry in verse 1? Because life isn't going his way. You remember last week, God, you're not fair. You're not fair to Nineveh. You're not fair to me. You're not even fair to yourself. Why is he exceedingly glad in verse 6? He's got shade. Isn't life awesome? In other words, the question, do you do well to be angry, exposes this. Jonah's agenda in life is Jonah. Jonah's agenda in life is Jonah. In other words, what drives him is him. It's selfishness. When things are going my way, I'm really, really happy. When things are not going my way, I'm really, really angry. And has this not been the story all along? Go to Nineveh. I don't want to. Be rescued from the fish. Salvation is from the Lord. Witness to sailors, I'd rather sleep. Be given a second chance. Oh God, you're so amazing. The joy of Jonah's religion is his own well-being. And here's the point, faith family. It's going to sting, but it needs to sting. You will not love people the way God loves people as long as your agenda is self. Why is that? Right here, God's love is selfless. How did God love you? He's loved you by giving of himself. Philippians chapter 2, even though Christ was equal with God, he did not consider equality something to be taken advantage of, but he humbled himself, he became a servant, even to the point of death. And what are we to do? The Apostle Paul says, have that same mind in you. You'll never love the way God loves when your love is selfish instead of selfless. And there are three signs that help us diagnose whether or not our agenda is selfish or selfless. Here are the three things. The first is this, is you get private. You get private. I take this from the fact that Jonah here has isolated himself from the very people God has called him to serve. Somebody say preach, preacher. preacher. All right, I got two, so I'm going to go. I got permission now. 
He is, he's pulled himself back. He's outside of the city. He's isolated himself from the people God has called him to. This isn't the first time he's done it. Remember in chapter 2, instead of serving the sailors, he is down below underneath the ship. Jonah has this tendency as a child of God to pull back from the world. And so the question is this, how will the world see God's love in you if you're in isolation from the world? If you've built your little booth so that you can be totally in your Christian bubble, how will the world know the love of God, do you see? You see, what I think a lot of Christians have done is they've created booths. They just don't call them booths. They call them churches. A lot of Christians love their plants. They just don't call them plants. They call them their traditions. Give me my church the way I want it. Sing songs and hear sermons about how much God loves me. And instead of the church being the launching pad that sends us out into the world, it becomes the booth that protects us from the world. Because as long as the grace of God is about us, we'll be private. We'll be isolated from the people God has called us to serve. Hear me. Honestly, honestly, the years that I've been serving churches now, the biggest temptation for any church is to become inward. Inward. Particularly a church, and praise God for over 50 years, but a church like ours that's over 50 years old, it's very easy to start thinking that it's just about us. I'm going to fire you up about Jesus so that we can go tell the world about Jesus. Amen? If this is nothing but a booth, oh God, tear it down. He has not called us to live in isolation. Here's the second sign that you're living selfish rather than selfless is that you get petty. Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to go to preaching and to meddling. Jonah gets petty. You see, what does he love? He loves his plant. It's a good plant. It makes me comfortable It provides me shade. But what's the point? It's a plant. I know you like your plant. Plants are good. That's awesome. But it's just a plant. Jonah is the guy that will lose his witness over a game of basketball. Jonah is the church member who is really upset because somebody parked in my parking spot or sat in my seat. Jonah is the the church member who's really upset because I had to go to a different classroom or a changed curriculum. Jonah's the guy who would chew out the waitress or the cashier because they made me wait 10 whole minutes. And now the kingdom of God is falling apart. Look at me, faith family. It's a plant. It's a plant. But when the grace of God is only about us, We will make minor things major things and forget the most important thing, which is love. And the greatest of these is love. That's what happens when you're motivated by self 
rather than giving up of self. I, I wrote this question down. How would our lives, how would our church look different if our number one agenda wasn't plants but love? Here's the third sign. Not only does he get private, not only does he get petty, but notice this guy has no peace at all. Three verses, starting verse, in, in verse three, therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. He says it again in verse eight. He asked that I might die, and he said, it is better for me to die than to live. Again in verse nine, after God asked, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. This guy has serious emotional problems. He wants to die. Do you remember last week when I told you that when your reason for living is to get what you want and you don't get what you want, you lose your reason for living? A few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to the Middle East and I got to visit a lot of biblical sites. Any of you ever been? How many of you'd like to go? Yeah. And one of the sites that I really remember, I, I remember it vividly, is I got to float in the Dead Sea, right? That's me, not the far left, but the next one over. There I am floating in the sea. Now, the reason why I say float is because, as many of you know, you don't sink in the Dead Sea. It's 30% salt, uh, 10 times more than the ocean. Uh, it is so salty that there is no plant life there is no fish life, which is ironically why it got the name Dead Sea. But I want you to imagine this with me. Imagine a body of water 50 miles long, 11 miles wide, with no life at all. Why? It has no outlet. You see, minerals come down from the Sea of Galilee through the Jordan River, and then they dump into the Dead Sea, but it doesn't go anywhere until it evaporates. In other words, here's the question, what makes the Dead Sea dead? Always receiving, never giving. What will kill your walk with God? Always wanting God's love never willing to give it away. That will kill you in a moment because you've been created in the image of a sacrificial God. It's no wonder Jonah wants to die. He got private, he got petty, and he has no peace because he's driven by his own agenda. And then notice the second question, in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? So this question is a lot like the first question, except God adds two words, the plant. Now what is God exposing here? The first question exposes self-ish versus self-less kind of love. This question is exposing something else. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Now what happens to the plant. Go back at verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. Time out. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, isn't that like, how cool is it that our God appoints worms? 
You want to talk about the sovereignty of God, you go ahead and go to Genesis chapter 1, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. I'm going to Jonah 4. God appointed a worm. Listen, I like to fish. I love to fish. So when I go fishing now, I take my worm out, I hold it up to the heavens. And I say, oh, holy God, would thou appointest thy worm into thy service and catch me a big bass. Amen. Right? I mean, that's awesome. That's totally free. That's not even the point. God appoints this worm, and what does this worm do? It takes down Jonah's little pet plant. And then verse 8, the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. God takes the plant away. So that's the context from which he's asking, do you do well to be angry for the plant? What are you doing? God, what are you up to? Why did you give this guy a plant and then take it away? Do you see? You see where the question's coming from? Here's what's happening. You got to follow me. You got to follow me. Jonah wants God to give Nineveh heat, judgment. Instead, God gives Nineveh shade, grace, forgiveness. Jonah doesn't like that, so what does God do? He gives Jonah shade only to turn around and give him heat. God is doing to Jonah in a small way what Jonah wants God to do to Nineveh in a big way to make this point. You've got to hear this. If you've been given shade and you love shade, how much more would you not rejoice that I am giving others shade? Let me ask it this way. How can you be selfish with the grace of God? If you love God's love, if you love God's grace, if you revel in amazement that God has forgiven you what he's forgiven you, why would you not want to share that with others? It doesn't make any sense. In this puny little plant, you have expressed your love for shade then why is it that you're so mad that I have given bigger shade to Nineveh? Those who have experienced God's love naturally want others to experience it through them. Amen? It's like in Matthew 18. Do you remember when uh, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, so how many times am I supposed to forgive? You remember that? Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Imagine a master has a servant that owes him 150,000 years worth of salary. You think he's ever going to pay that off? Not a chance. And that servant comes to the master and says, there's no way, there's no way I can pay this debt. Would you have mercy on me? 
And what does the master do? He looks at that servant who is asking for mercy. He forgives the debt completely and he sets him free. But imagine that that servant then goes and encounters another one of his fellow servants. A spouse. A co-worker. A friend. And that other servant owes him three months salary. How does that servant respond? He refuses to forgive the debt. And the shocker of the story is, how can someone who's been forgiven so much forgive so little? How can someone who is set here in this series of Jonah, amazed at the love of God, love so ordinarily? It's a disconnect that's a problem within the Christian do you remember, remember the movie or musical Les Mis? Anybody like musicals? A few of you? I tolerate them, but I do like Les Mis. I do like Les Mis. You remember the main character, Jean Valjean? It's the only foreign language I know right there. <laughs> he's the main character, one of the main characters, and he's an ex-convict. He's been imprisoned, and he's released. And he, he's welcomed into the home of a bishop, a, a priest. And in the night, he steals the priest's silver and he runs. The next day, he's caught by the police and he's brought back to the priest's home. And notice how the priest responds. Get in there! Put him down! Stay there! Monsignor, we have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man by the witness of the martyrs by the passion and the blood God has raised you out of darkness I have saved your soul for Notice his expression. He's amazed. He's overwhelmed that someone would show him that kind of forgiveness. That kind of... Everybody else in the room is amazed. 
And if you know the rest of the story, you know that his life is changed forever. He becomes a whole new man. That one single act of forgiveness changed his life. Faith family, how much more so ours in light of the cross? How much more that one overwhelming, outrageous act of love should transform our love. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And then one final question in verse 11. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? The, The rational argument of God to Jonah is very easy to understand. Here it is. Friends, look here. Do you love plants? Yes, I love plants. Are you kidding me? Blazing hot outside. I love plants. I was so thankful for that plant. Plants are awesome. It's got a new car smell. Oh, it's a bonus check. Oh, it's shopping at the Mall of America. I love plants. Do I love people? Yes, God, you love people. That is obvious. You save those wicked Ninevites. You want to forgive them. It's pretty obvious. There's no denying the fact that you love people. Then Jonah, if you're mine, should you not love people more than plants? What is exposed in this question is misplaced affection. Namely, Jonah loves the wrong thing. He loves plants instead of people, which begs this question, faith family, hear this. What do we love more than people? Do we love our money more than people? Do we love our church traditions more than people? Do we love winning the argument more than people? Do we love our reputation? Do we love our time? What is your plant? That's the question. And whatever your plant is, the call of God to all of us this morning is, get out of your booth Because you got to understand that the mission of God is about people. How are you going to be used? How are we going to be used by God in the mission of God if we are a church that loves plants more than people? That's the question. You pity plants. I pity people. When is the last time 2.5 million people in the Twin Cities and the surrounding metro that do not know their right from their left has caused you to weep? You wept when you lost your dog, and I'm not poking fun at that. You wept at the damage done to your new car in the accident. When have you wept over people? If you're mine, God says, then you'll love 
what I love. Do you do well to be angry? That is, is your agenda selfless or selfish? Do you do well to be angry for the plant? In other words, if you've experienced shade, don't you want others to experience shade? Shouldn't I pity Nineveh? In other words, do you love people or do you love plants? And here's what's interesting. We don't see how Jonah responds. In fact, the book ends in a very strange way. And also much cattle. What? That's the worst ending to a movie ever. I mean, seriously, you read that and you're like, there's got to be another Jonah part two and much cattle. We don't see Jonah's response because it's not about Jonah's response anymore, friends. It's about yours. And it's not only that it's not just about Jonah's response, it's about the real Jonah. In Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees asked Jesus, give me a sign that you're the Messiah. Jesus says, no sign will be given except one, the sign of Jonah. Three days in the belly of a fish, the Son of Man will be three days in the ground. Why? Jesus says, something greater than Jonah is here. Meaning, faith family, if we want to know how to love the way God has loved, do not look to a man who would not leave his booth for a sinful city. Look to a man who left the glories of heaven to save a sinful world. Don't look to a man who was outside in his little wooden booth. Look to a man who was taken outside the city and crucified on a wooden cross. Don't look to a man so full of anger that he wants to die. Look to a man so full of love, he willingly died so that you would live. Do not look to a man who wanted the love of God all to himself. Look to a man who freely offers the love of God to Hawaiian prostitutes, self-righteous prophets, wicked Ninevites, and to you and to me. That's the love of God. And that's the kind of love our world desperately needs to know. Amen? Then who better to give it than those who've received it? Oh, that we would be a church identified as a church that loves the way God loved us. Because I wonder if we were that kind of church here in the Twin Cities, I bet you that if a church like that existed, there are people around us right now who might even join us. And God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask you this morning to place on our minds that um, marriage, friendship, situation at work, problem in the family, where we are living with the disconnect 
of how you've loved us and how we are loving them. And take us back to the cross to be overwhelmed with that one act of love, that defining act of love, because it is there, not in our own strength, it is there that we find the grace to love as you have first loved. Do that, I pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.